Hello and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. Pastor Worth here. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. We are in our third week of our Hindsight series. One of the questions I asked in the last two weeks was, when you look back over your life, where was God working in it when it was hard to see that he was working in it in that moment? So this week, I want to take that whole notion and talk about the idea of promises. Have you ever waited for a long time for something that was promised to you? Maybe a promise that did not come to fruition and you were looking forward to it. And maybe you're still waiting. Maybe this whole last year of waiting, you were promised something that hasn't come. Um, I know that I promised my kids uh, something that might seem trivial to the rest of you, but that's waffles on the weekend. I make waffles for the family. And if I don't make those waffles, I'm in big trouble. If I break the promise of waffles, I'm in big trouble. And it's one thing to wait for something seemingly small or less important, but it's another thing when someone breaks a promise that has devastating effects in your life. That's also painful to wait for something that's been promised to you. And in this series where we're looking through the book of Matthew, I want to talk about how the people of Israel had waited for a long time for God's promises to be fulfilled. They were given a promise, a promise that, and they had expectations that were going to come from that promise. Now, the book of Matthew is full of references to the Old Testament, and a lot of those are pointing to how the Messiah is the fulfillment of those promises in the Old Testament. In fact, there are... 25 scriptures that I've found in Matthew that reference, reference points in the Old Testament. Half of those say something along the lines of, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, which is a pretty direct way of saying there was a prophecy. The other half of those references that are in Matthew are a little bit indirect, and it's one of those that I want to take a look at today. And uh, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, that is where we're headed. And here's the context of this passage. The Pharisees are confronting Jesus, and they are so fixated on the rules, in this case the Sabbath, that they get in Jesus' face about it, and they're complaining about what the disciples are doing. It's kind of like they're on a stakeout, trying to catch them doing something wrong. So in this story, they catch the disciples doing something awful, which is picking grain on the Sabbath. Uh, you might not think that's a big deal, but to be fair, the Sabbath was a super huge deal for the Jewish people because it was tied up in their identity as a people. It was handed down to them by God through Moses as one of the Ten Commandments. So Jesus comes back at them with a story from the Old Testament about David, King David, going into the tabernacle and taking the consecrated bread when they were in need. In fact, David and his men were justified in this, argues Jesus, because they were on mission with God and for God, just as Jesus is on mission with his disciples. So basically, Jesus is saying, your intense hatred of me that's displaying itself through your interpretation and application of these rules, these regulations, it's pretty messed up. You're ignoring that my disciples are doing ministry with me for my kingdom. If you were able to see that, you wouldn't be so fixated on your anger and in proving me wrong. Here's the deal, though. We do this all the time. We do what the Pharisees did. Jesus asks us or prompts us or calls us to do something, just like he was 
doing with the Jewish people and the Pharisees, to get involved with him, to participate in some way, shape, or form in his ministry, whether it's giving to the poor or serving or giving money uh, to someone who's homeless or a meal or something to a friend. Let's say Jesus has made it clear to you that he wants generosity from you, but maybe you've then explained that away or rationalized that away, whether it's helping a neighbor in need or giving a few bucks to a homeless person on the corner, or whether it's participating in worship by tithing, and then you're like, I, I no, I'm going to rationalize that away. They didn't like being called out on their disobedience by Jesus and the way he was living, and neither did we. Jesus says to them, my disciples are the ones who are on mission with me 24-7, and there's always room to do good no matter what day it falls on, so don't get caught up in those rules. The second part of the story in Matthew 12 is when Jesus heals the hand of a man who's, this man's hand has been wasting away for some reason. So the Pharisees first go after the disciples for taking some kernels of wheat, and then they go after Jesus and question him because they think they know he will want to heal this man on the Sabbath, which I kind of find of suspicious, actually. Don't you find it kind of suspicious that as soon as he walks into the synagogue, they start asking him about healing on the Sabbath. They don't ask him about the previous incident with the disciples, and he actually hasn't done any healing yet, but they still ask him about whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. It's like they're setting him up. Now, I'm not saying this is true, but I love thinking about stuff like this in the scriptures and the way it was written down for us. What if, just what if the Pharisees had planted this withered hand guy there? So not only are they staking out Jesus and his disciples, but it's like they are planting evidence against him. And they are so eager to catch him that they pull the lure out of the water before he takes the bait, before they even ask a question about healing. So then they ask the question, and often Jesus did this. He turns the question back on them, and he talks to them about saving sheep on the Sabbath. And you can read that yourself, but what is he saying to them? He's asking them what they really think about the value of human beings. Do you value people? What is the intrinsic worth of a human life? Jesus is telling them in no uncertain terms that justice and mercy and love and healing are more important than the regulations you're trying to keep. This is why we end up calling Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath, by the way. It's like they don't understand that the spirit of Sabbath is rest. Like Eugene Peterson says, the Sabbath is, Sabbath is about praying and playing. And the rest is so that you can rest up beforehand and join God in the work that he's doing throughout the week. So that you have time just to be. Time to be with God and center yourself on the things that matter to God so that you can get down to the business God wants you to be about. He wants these guys to understand the spirit of Sabbath. And the spirit of Sabbath is not about regulations. It's so you can be with God and then join God in mission and rescue people who need justice and mercy. So that's the context of this whole passage. Jesus allows the disciples to take the grain. And then he supposedly gets caught healing on the Sabbath and he says it's okay to do that. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Starting in verse 15, it says this, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. 
I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So that's how those two events are summed up. So I want to break this down for you real quick. Matthew is saying that Jesus quoted this passage from Scripture, from the Old Testament, from a prophet named Isaiah, for a reason. Jesus is saying, the words come out of his mouth, I know you've been waiting for a long time for God to fulfill his promises, and I'm finally here now. I am the fulfillment of God's promises. And specifically, in that passage, it points out that he is fulfilling God's promises in three ways. And the first way is that Jesus says he is a servant. Jesus is here to serve. It says that in verse 18. And it's really, it's really interesting, I think, because in the same way Jesus received God's love, as the passage says, the one I love, it would help us a lot if we learned how to receive God's love so that then we can serve like Jesus did. The only way we can really be servants is out of the overflow of what God has put into us, the love that God has put into our lives. Otherwise, when we try to serve under our own power, well, you know, then it comes from other motivations, and that leads to trouble. The second thing we see here that Jesus promises is this proclamation of justice. That last part of verse 18 says that God has put his spirit on Jesus so that he can proclaim justice. And I want to make this particular point that I think is often overlooked when it comes to justice, especially in this last year. True justice starts with God. The Hebrew word here for justice is mishpah. You can find this word more than 200 times in the Old Testament. Today, it's still part of the root word in Hebrew for lawyer. It's the basis for an everyday orderly life. Without mishpah, as the backbone for day-to-day -day existence in society, then peace and productivity break down. It's the notion of righteousness, which is the sense of doing the right thing. Kind of reminds me of, uh, we watch a lot of Frozen in our house over the last couple of years. Anna's song in Frozen 2, where she sings, Do the Next Right Thing, is probably the most powerful song in the movie. Then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. And to have the proper sense of what that next right thing is, to really impart justice, true justice, we need God's wisdom. Because without it, we will treat people who aren't like us poorly. Whatever it is that's touching your heart, whatever wrong is in the world, and you want to be uh, active in helping to make it right, here's the thing. You can't do it without the Spirit of God leading the way. Think about it this way. If Jesus needed God's Spirit, what makes us think we'll get anywhere without it? The, the third thing that has to do with God's promises being fulfilled through Jesus is that Jesus is worthy of hope. Verse 21 says that in his name, the nations will put their hope. Israel always strayed and put their hope in other things, other people, other rulers, other gods, and it always left them just groveling and weeping and without hope. It failed them completely. They always answered the question of where their dependence came from by filling in the blank with something other than God. Every once in a while, though, they had 
this profound realization when things got really bad that their dependence should have been resting on the one true God. And things changed when they realized that because they realized that they were loved. And then when they realized that, they began to serve from that love. And then from that love filling them up, they lived justly. And they have hope. And they spread that hope around. And like them, maybe we can realize that our dependence should be on God alone too. Because only God can fulfill his promises in and through Jesus. Jesus comes and says, I am the proof that God is a promise keeper. And we're going to be promised, let's be frank about this, we're going to be promised a lot of things in life by other people. And even though many of those people mean well, they won't come true. I'm going to forget to make waffles sometimes, or we won't have the right ingredients. And, and there's other deeper, more important things. But here's the deal. God's promises will never, ever fail. And Jesus is quoting Isaiah here in Matthew 12 to remind those people then and us right now that God is about serving and he's about justice and making things right. And he will keep his promise to put everything back together again. So to wrap this up, when you look back in hindsight at 2020 or the, all the rest of your life for that matter, and you're frozen by what is happening in your life, just remember that Jesus is the proof that God keeps his promises. And when you look back in hindsight at 2020 and you see all this injustice running rampart, and re I want you to remember that Jesus is the proof that God does fulfill his promises. And when you see all the people all over the place in the news and on TV and in your neighborhoods and they are full of despair rather than hope, just remember that Jesus is the proof that God keeps his promises. As you look back, don't just do that, but get ready to look ahead to this new year in 2021 because God does fulfill his promises and he does so when we join him in his mission and we allow him to give us our true identity through his love. That's when we'll be ready to go in and serve when he calls us to and then we will be able to act justly and then we will be able to hold on to hope and give it to others. Until next time, this is Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Grace and peace to you all.